The key idea of our method is to leverage out-of-the-shelf key point detector in order to condition the nerve so that we can instantly create volumetric avatars of humans that can be rendered from novel views. Welcome to Talking Papers, a podcast where we talk about papers and let the papers do the talking. We host early career academics and PhD students to share their cutting-edge research in computer vision, machine learning, and everything in between. I'm your host, Itzik Ben Shabbat, a researcher and knowledge disseminator. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Talking Papers, the podcast where we talk about papers and the papers do the talking. Today, we will be talking about the paper Key Point Nerf. Generalizing Image-Based Volumetric Avatars Using Relative Spatial Encoding of Key Points, published in ECCV 2022. I am happy to host the first author of the paper, Marko Mikhailovich. Hello, Marko, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Itzik. Happy to be here, and thank you so much for the invite. Can you introduce yourself? I'm a second-year PhD student in computer vision at ETH Zurich, where I'm supervised with Professor Sio Tang, and my research is mostly focused on photorealistic reconstruction of static and dynamic scenes, but also modeling of parametric human bodies that are more efficient for interactions with 3D environments. And who are the co-authors of the paper? This project was mostly done during my internship at Meta Reality Labs, where I collaborated with three amazing researchers, uh, Ayush Bansel, Michael Zolfer, and Shosuke Saito, and of course, my supervisor from ETH, Siu Tang. Okay, so let's start. In a TLDR kind of format, two or three sentences, what is this paper about? On the very high level, Keypoint Nerf is a generalizable nerf for virtual avatars that leverages key points for the high-fidelity reconstruction of humans from very sparse observations. So given as input two or three images, Keypoint Nerf generates volumetric radiance representation that can be rendered from novel views. Cool. So you basically take very few images and you create a volumetric avatar. Right. You can imagine you take a few selfies of yourself and you instantly get the avatar of yourself that can be rendered from novel views. Okay, so let's dive into the introduction. What problem exactly is this paper addressing? So in this paper, we try to address uh, two main problems. The, the first one is to enable fast reconstruction of human avatars. So as I mentioned, given very sparse input views, uh, we want to create high-fidelity uh, human. And another goal is to propose a universal reconstruction framework that can be directly applied to all sorts of articulated objects. Uh, for example, you can use our algorithm for the reconstruction uh, of human faces, human bodies, hands, animals, etc., without any algorithmic uh, modification. And this is different compared to prior work uh, that mostly incorporates a category-specific parametric model. Okay, so you basically answered the question, why is it an important problem? But like, why do we need virtual avatars? Like, where, where can we use mm-hmm. this? This is quite important concept in academia, but also in industry, for example, for virtual telepresence or for digitization of humans, social media, etc. Okay. And, and what are like the main challenges in this domain? There are several challenges. Like the first one is the reconstruction from very sparse observations. As we know, NERF would not work on very sparse inputs. And another issue is the generalization to once in subject. So there is uh, lots of different uh, uh, hairstyles, uh, facial expressions, etc. 
And maybe the last challenge is uh, generalization to novel capture studios. So, for example, if you train a model into the uh, nice studio, then it's probably not going to generalize to some in the wild capture images. Wow, interesting. You got me excited. But before we dive in deep, just in, in a few bullet points, what are the main contributions of this particular work? Yeah, so the main contribution of this paper is a way of conditioning uh, nerve on detected key points. And another contribution is a generalizable pipeline that generalizes to unseen identities, like unseen subjects, but also novel uh, capture systems. And uh, we also perform an extensive analysis of different types of spatial encodings to better understand uh, how to encode key points and condition the nerve properly. Okay, so this all sounds super interesting, but just before we dive into the bits and bolts of exactly how you did it, let's talk a little bit about related work. So if anyone wants to read your paper and understand it, what two, three papers do they have to read first? The first one, uh, for sure, is NERF. Uh, it is such a simple and amazing concept. So NERF represents a scene via an NLP and takes as input a query point and a viewing direction. And what you get as output is volume density and uh, view-dependent emitted radiance field. This allows you then to render novel views uh, by leveraging classic volume rendering. And but one of the issues of NERF is that it requires expensive person training. And another issue is uh, it does not work well for very sparse uh, input views. Which brings me to the second line of work that tried to tackle this limitation. Uh, so approaches from last CVPR, like, like PixelNERF, uh, PVA, and RPIPRNet, uh, leverage pixel-aligned uh, features to condition the nerve and get nice reconstruction from very sparse observations. So for this project is more relevant IBRNet, uh, which uses a very nice trick of uh, leveraging IBR, like image-based rendering, to parameterize the color prediction by blending the corresponding input pixels. And what this allows you is actually to have a very nice generalization at inference time, even to the colors that are not observed during the training. And another side benefit is that you can use it directly for uh, high-resolution input images uh, without extra computational costs. And the third most inspiring paper for this project is uh, PIFU, Pixel-Aligned Implicit uh, Functions. Uh, which is a reconstruction method for humans. So it takes as input one image or multiple images of a human and models the human geometry by using an implicit uh, network. Okay, so let's dive into the approach now. But before we do, let's give the general pipeline. So what's the input? What's the output? Maybe talk a little bit about the NERF, how that fits in. So on the very high level, uh, the input to our system is a set of uh, RGP images with their camera parameters. And the output is the volumetic, volumetic representation of a human that can be rendered from novel views by leveraging the classic volume rendering uh, techniques from NERF. When you say classic volumetric rendering and volumetric representation, what exactly do you mean? So what is the values at the output? So to render a pixel from a novel view, what we do is that we shoot array and then we sample uh, query points. 
for each query point, uh, we can translate it into volume density and a view-dependent color information. And then simply by accumulating the color and the density along the ray, we can get the pixel value, which represents this volumetric rendering on a very high level. Right. So during training, your input is a set of images and their camera parameters, right? Where the camera is positioned in space. And the output is this volumetric representation that now during inference, you can set your camera basically wherever you want. You cast a ray and you know to say what's the density and what's the color at each point along that ray. And that way you can render this new novel view image. Yeah, exactly. So the main difference compared to this nerve framework is that we have now two parts. So one part is these uh, convolutional encoders where we take the input images and then we encode them by, by convolutional encoders into feature maps. And another part is uh, nerve style MLP that is going to predict view-dependent uh, color information and uh, volume density. Now, in addition to these two components, we also leverage out-of-the-shelf key point detector where we detect uh, for human face like landmarks and then we uh, uplift them in 3D by using the standard triangulation method. Now, the encoding of the human is these feature maps that we get from the convolutional encoders and also 3D key points. So for every image that you get as input, right, you extract key points. So points along the Correct. face for, for human faces. And you also extract these kind of traditional feature maps, right? So you run a convolution on the image and then you get these different feature maps. Now, what do you do with these exactly. two? Now, when we want to render a new image, uh, we shoot a ray. We sample points on the ray, uh, like in a nerve. And then for each query point, uh, we extract feature and this feature is composed of a key point feature and a convolutional feature. The convolutional feature is obtained uh, by projecting the query point onto the image planes and then bilinearly interpolating the feature maps. And I I'll come back uh, later to this key point feature. And now when we have this uh, feature that is uh, pixel aligned, we translate it into volume density and uh, view-dependent color by leveraging uh, nerve-style MLP. But the difference is that we borrow this rendering head from IBM where we parameterize the color prediction as blending of input pixels. This allows us to generalize nicely to unseen colors at inference time and also to use very high resolution images without extra computational costs. Yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit more about the key point feature? So this Pixel line features are great, but they're just floating somewhere in space. So we need a spatial anchor for these features such that the neural network can learn a consistent prior. So for this case, we leverage key points given like a query point and these key points, we project all of them onto the image plane and compute depth of key points and the query point. And then we calculate the reproject reprojection depth between the query point and the key points. This uh, relative difference uh, goes through positional encoding uh, that is proposed in the nerve, and then we weight it according to the Euclidean distance. Now, this mm -hmm. is our uh, relative spatial encoding that comes from the key points. And but the key insight is that uh, this enables you to uh, learn nicely 
local features. So if you have human face, then the key point will tell you, okay, now this is the information only about the eye and you should learn it uh, consistently across the subjects. Now you have information about the nose and then you learn it across different subjects, uh, which is the key for robustness uh, to novel capture systems. So to put it in, in a little bit different words, the way I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, Basically, you, you, you have your key points all around, let's say, the face, right? You have the, the eyebrows, the, the points around the mouth, all of those key points around the face. And then you, when you cast array, you basically take the, the key point features and you kind of weigh them based on their distance to, to that ray, right? That point along the ray. So the closer they are to the ray, the more influential these features are. And that allows you to now, instead of learn this general pixel-level representation, now it's more of an um, anchor-level features, right? Exactly. All right, go on. So you have your key point features yeah, now? And, and now when we render the, this null pixel, we can just supervise it uh, by using the standard pixel-level loss. In particular case, we use uh, L1, uh, projection distance, but also VGG. Uh, loss to get more high frequency details. Okay, so only these two components in the loss, and you train it for. Yeah, I think 150,000 iterations. It's similar to Nerf, maybe two days of training. And then we have this generalizable representation that can be used for novel subjects. So basically, you train on, on a set of, of people, right? Where you have a very small set of images, right? This is one of the nice things about this paper that you don't need so many views, right? You can, you, you can give very good results with only two, at least that's what I saw in the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you train it on a set of people and now you can generate new images of, for, for a new set of unseen people, human. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, so for the human subjects, we train on around 350 subjects, and then we generalize to novel subjects. But for human body, we use even less. Like we, we train it only on seven subjects, and then it already generalizes to unseen ones. This is a great buildup to to move on to the results section of the paper. So how do you even evaluate this kind of result? We follow the standard evaluation procedure from NERF, and then we simply compute uh, PSNR and SSAM between rendered view and uh, ground truth view. For the novice listener who doesn't know what's PSNR and SSIM, can you maybe a little bit explain what does this measure? So what are these evaluation metrics and what do they quantify? So on the high level, you can consider that pixel, that PSNR measures only the pixel-wise error, whereas SSIM, like samples a small patch and then compares the patch, uh, which includes some structural information. So we have like pixel-wise loss and this uh, more uh, structured loss term. So what experiments did you do? Uh, so the first uh, part of experiments was uh, we trained the method on the studio capture data, like 350 subjects, and then we generalized to unseen ones. And then we compare it to the standard baselines uh, that are out there, like IBRNet, pixel volumetric avatars, um, MVS NERF, etc. And then, well, of course, we show good results. Is the paper would have been accepted, right? You have to have the bold numbers. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, but we also compare different types of encodings. Like instead of conditioning on key points, uh, the prior work like uh, PVA uses the canonical pose of the human. Uh, 
as an encoding. And we show that this uh, localized encoding is much more powerful. And we also measure the robustness uh, of perturbing the this canonical pose of the human or perturbing key points. And um, our representation is also more uh, robust uh, with respect to the noisy key point estimation. And another very cool experiment that we performed is that we, we trained it on this studio capture data, and then we can just use it for the in-the-wild capture images. So if you take a few selfies of yourself, uh, we can directly apply our method and uh, get decent uh, nerve-level reconstruction. In which cases does your method fail? So if you go very far uh, from the input views, then of course it can fail. Since it does not hallucinate unobserved parts, it mostly just does reconstruction. So maybe a potential future direction would be to leverage guns to uh, infill these missing parts. So when you say, uh, like, let's say you have an image from the front of the face and then from one side, if you go all the way to the back of the head or something like that, that it has never seen before, it's going to fail, right? Yeah, of course, it's going to fail. That's why leveraging some generative uh, method could uh, help to improve in these kind of cases for more extreme viewpoints. Yeah, and it makes sense, right? It can make up stuff that it has never seen before, right? Right, right, exactly. If, if these kind of views existed in the training, so if you had, for example, like these kind of, Let's say you had more than two views, like you had three that cover basically everything. Would it make it better? Maybe slightly better, but still it could not uh, hallucinate something that is not visible from the images. Uh, simply because we parameterize the color prediction as the blending of input pixels, uh, like in the IBRnet style. Yeah, and, and also there are a lot of regions where there aren't any key points, right? The key points focus mm-hmm. on very specific targets. Mm-hmm. All right. That could be another limitation. So now we have like a battery construction quality where key points are present, for example, for eyes, nose, mouth. But for hair, there is no key points. And then uh, it performs slightly worse on those regions. Any unexpected results that you encountered during your experiments? Initially, we had some unexpected results where uh, we did not train the network properly. So when the novel view approaches one of the input views, so what would the network learn to do is just cheat and copy one of the input views onto the novel view. And this looked super awkward in the videos, in, in the renderings. But simply like uh, clipping the influence of each uh, factor, uh, the influence of each uh, uh, dot product between the ray and the viewing direction to 0. 0.8 um, fixed all, all of the issues. Oh, okay, that's like a, a neat trick that everybody that tries to train this kind of thing sh- should know, right? Whenever you get close yeah. to the one of the input views, clip it. Otherwise, it won't clip work. It. Yeah, <laughs> never allow like the maximum weight for one of the input views. So can you elaborate a bit about the human body experiment? So for the human body experiment, we simply train our method on CGU mockup dataset, uh, where we take seven subjects uh, as training subjects, and then we uh, show the generalization performance uh, on three unseen identities. And it's very interesting that uh, our method achieves results comparable to state of the art that uh, leverages these parametric human body models and uh, temporal feature aggregation, whereas we just use these uh, sparse uh, input views for uh, the reconstruction. Right. This is this is very cool. So this method can work for both just faces and humans. Everything that you can extract the key point for, this can work for. Yeah, exactly. It would be very interesting to try it on animals. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Okay, moving on to the conclusions and future work section. So how do you see the impact of the paper going forward? And has there been any interesting papers since? So it's very new. Like the paper just came out as we're recording this, but maybe are there any follow-up projects out there? Well, yeah, it's very hard to predict the impact at this stage, but uh, so far no follow-ups. So I think uh, that the paper proposes some interesting um, and intuitive formulation of conditioning nerve, but there are clearly some limitations that can be addressed in the future work. Now, now there is this recent trend of uh, fast nerves like Insta10GP, so addressing the rendering speeds by leveraging uh, one of the fast nerves uh, could be interesting follow-up. When I was reading the paper, I couldn't help but thinking, well, there is this part of the method that does the key point extraction. And I was wondering, well, maybe you could also train something that learns which key points are the important ones, right? Because right now you're basically using an off-the-shelf kind of thing. Maybe an interesting future project would be, well, how do we learn good key points? Because all of these key point methods, they're like, oh, okay, let's put key points where we think is, is important. But in real life, we don't know, like it could learn some other key points. Do you think that's a, uh-huh. an interesting direction for future work? Right, that's definitely an interesting direction. But also there is some papers that propose to learn this triangulation uplifting. So maybe incorporating even that would be an interesting extension. Yeah, very interesting. So before we wrap up, let's go to my favorite part of the podcast. What did reviewer two say? So please share some insight that you got from the review process maybe the ranks if you feel comfortable to, whatever the reviewers said that made the paper better. Yeah, all the reviewers were quite positive about the work and they provided uh, quite nice feedback that uh, improved uh, the paper. So before the review, our scores were like four, four, uh, three, and uh, they requested some additional uh, experiments, <laughs> as always. So pretty much about the questioning about the robustness for different camera calibrations uh, for the individual captures or showing results on the dynamic sequence, ablating different types of uh, feature encoders. Thankfully to these insights, we provided those additional uh, results, which improved the paper quality. And after the rebuttal, I think the final scores were like four, 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 five. So it was accept and uh, two week accepts. Sounds really good. Yeah. And I think, you know, the whole review process, like every t- all the time we get this, oh, we want more experiments. But in practice, it's just, you know, you, you pro- like probably initially you already made the point that the claims that you made in the paper are good. They just want, you know, to make sure a few things, see that you've done some very relevant, interesting ablations. And and I think in the in the wild example is very like it's a it's a valid question, right? When I read those kind of nerf papers, it's always well, wait, how sensitive it is to maybe getting a little bit the, the camera parameters wrong, or maybe having some noise somewhere that can mess everything up. And yeah, you incorporate everything into the paper, and that made it all that much better. Yeah, it definitely makes the paper more complete. Okay. That's it for this episode of Talking Papers. Thank you, Marco, for being a part of the podcast. And until next time, let your papers do the talking. Thank you for listening. That's it for this episode of Talking Papers. Please subscribe to the podcast feed on your favorite podcast app. 
All links are available in this episode description and on the Talking Papers website. If you would like to be a guest on the podcast, sponsor it, or just share your thoughts with us, feel free to email talking.papers.podcast at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in every week for the latest episodes. And until then, let your papers do the talking.